Welcome to Broke as Shit with Dave Mahogany, a comedy podcast for anyone who considers themselves to be broke as shit and will never fully recover from it. Now here's your host, Dave Mahogany. Hey guys, welcome to Broke as Shit. This is an interesting episode because I wanted to do the first 15-minute episode, and I'm going to try to keep it to 15 minutes, even though the subject matter that I'm covering is a little heavy. I'm going to try to make it funny whenever I can, uh, but this is going to be the Cash Advanced episode. This is the first one, and we're going to start with how nations go broke and how you have, basically, instead of trickle-down economics, you have trickle-down brokenness, and we'll see how it starts. So I'm going to begin with a quote from JFK that he gave at the American University in 1963, a few months before he was assassinated. And I think it's quite relevant now because this is the underlying message. What kind of peace do I mean? What kind of peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana, enforced on the world by American weapons of war. Not the peace of the grave or the security of the slave. I'm talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living. The kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope and to build a better life for their children. Not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, but peace for all time. Now, this is important because there is a lot of media attention now. And this is not supposed to be necessarily a, a, a political podcast, but this is something that affects it out because it's, there is, it is heavily intertwined in our daily lives. And... As every society has grown, there has always been things that seek to take away and then cause this broke mentality that take away from the inside that actually cause the nation as a whole and the society be, to become broke and to wither. And unfortunately, a lot of times the best way to do this and to control populations is through means of war. So the talks now with Russia, Ukraine, and the term NATO coming around. Now, there is a lot of media attention that always tries to point out a particular villain. But throughout history in the 20th century, if what's past is prologue, then you can look back on to what has been reported by third-party sources, independent journalists, and you'll see that what was once thought to be a great enemy was not so much, but merely a figment of the imaginations of a few. And what I mean by this, not to sound so profound, is that these people made a lot of fucking money, and they used you, me, the American people, and a lot of people around the world as pawns to believe what they're selling. They sold you a car. Unfortunately, it had no gas. They sold you a boat. Unfortunately, you had no rower. I don't know if that's an expression, but that's going to be an expression for this. So we're at three minutes right now. So... The reason I say this is because there's a, a, other books that are written, uh, one of the best ones, and it's a short little pamphlet written by a major general from the Marine Corps who served in World War I and a few other wars and was awarded many things. His name is General Smedley Butler. He wrote a book called War is a Racket, and he goes over what happened in World War I specifically and how all of these nations spoke of peace. However, they all generated millions and billions of dollars in that day, in 1914 and 1918, of profit. He said in the U.S. alone, there was over 21,000 new millionaires and billionaires at the end of the Great War. How many people died in the Great War? Tens of millions. How many people died in the Second World War? Orders of magnitude greater than that. So war 
is a very profitable business for a few. And oftentimes the way that it's taught in school is that that's what brought us out of the Great Depression. That's not necessarily the case. And if you want to believe certain things that if people at the top collect all the money and then they will disperse it down to the lower classes or every other individual, that's 100% bullshit. That is basically a Ponzi scheme. So what you have here in that with these people who were on the inside at the time, seeing that it was kind of bullshit, he wrote this in, I believe, the 20s. As you notice, there was a a feeling of war build up again. This is prior to the Second World War. So he could see it happening. He could see people disseminating misinformation, as we like to say today, but that's fucking propaganda. Which then leads me to the second thing. We're going to go into what's called the Smith and Mund Act. The Smith and Mund Act was in 1948, was signed in by Harry Truman. And this is for the State Department and the Broadcast Board of Governors for the sole dissemination of propaganda abroad, not to be used inside the United States. This is to show propaganda from a U.S. standpoint, point of view, that is allowed to be presented to the world. And in 2012, signed by President Obama, it was amended to allow those same people to disseminate the information within. However, if you go to the Board of Governors website, their government website, there's one big thing in their frequently asked questions, and it mentions the Department of Defense, and it says, this act and its amendment have never applied to the Department of Defense. So the use of propaganda has always been allowed as it pertains to national security. Why is this important? Because, as Voltaire said, if someone can commit... if <laughs> I'm going to fuck this one up. Great. This is one of my favorite quotes, too. Um, if somebody can make you believe in absurdity, they can make you commit atrocities. And this was never truer than what we saw in the 20th century with Hitler, with Stalin, with the Bolsheviks, but even in the United States and other allied countries. And as we hear on most news, unless you find independent sources around the world who are actually have been on the ground in these locations and they report the contrary, you hear the same beating of the drum, the same push to exercise military might, the same push for new weaponry to make more money. And I live right outside of Washington, D.C., so I'm surrounded by this kind of shit. And I made it very apparent and I made a promise to myself that I'd never work for that department because it should just be called Department of War. And it ever has been, especially since World War I and II. You have a shift in the global dynamic where the U.S. becomes a primary power. However, as Eisenhower is famously quoted as saying, beware of the military-industrial complex and how they will, at some point influence every form of policy that is made. He had a great hand in building that. He did that along with his Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, also has a shitty airport named after him, so if you ever go there, just think of that dickhead, and then his brother, Alan Dulles, who was head of the CIA. He was also fired by Kennedy. So these two guys, along with Eisenhower wanting to strip down military budgets because it was so expensive to hold standing militaries 
built up stockpiles of nuclear and thermonuclear weapons. Now, the person who created the first atomic bomb, Robert Oppenheimer, said he didn't want to create any more, any more powerful weapons because they would be considered weapons of genocide. I find that funny to believe because with one bomb, in a matter of minutes, killing over 100,000 people instantly, and then in the subsequent weeks, killing over 300,000 people, and then doing it yet again. How that's not genocide, I don't understand. However, today, many nations possess so much firepower that to have all-out war is insanity, and surely a death wish. But at the time in the 1950s, you had a lot of the military brass of the time, especially who the focus of Dr. Strange Love by Stanley Kubrick is Curtis LeMay. He firebombed Dresden, and he firebombed Tokyo, basically using napalm. He was of the mindset, as were many at the time, that the United States should hold a first-strike policy, in that if something is suspected, rather than us be attacked, we go with all of our might and we attack our foe. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, he is quoted as telling Kennedy, within a, one hour we can kill 110 million people. And even if there are two people on our side and one person on their side, we win. Kennedy looked at him and said, you better hope that the two people are a man and a woman. Now I say this because it's important. And it's maybe not funny, but it is kind of funny, that every person in the 1960s, specifically, once they had a standpoint of opposing war, opposing this military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned about, because he saw what he created... They were all assassinated. Now, coincidentally, all shot in the fucking head. Now, it's also under sub suspicious claims. Of course, you can believe it one way or the other. That's not really to get into this, but it is kind of funny that anytime somebody's stance changed to not so much civil rights, but as soon as they started talking about the less use of militarism, or if you're, <laughs> if you are the, I guess, victor, you are marshal, but to spread less militarism around the world. All of these people were assassinated. So it means to, to me that the people that seem to benefit the most, because it's not just purely the military, banking institutions as well. They're the ones who fund it. They're the ones who profit from it. They collect interest. They collect interest on dead souls. And if you want to know what bankrupts an economy, bankrupts a society as a whole, and eventually lead you into a consumer and serfdom state, you have unregulated spending in militarism, unregulation in banking, and then you have large industry taking over, and they can push every little thing, and they'll push it directly to you. And it came out in the church hearings of 1975 that even the Central Intelligence Agency had people in journalism on their payroll, that they were spreading disinformation and propaganda through every major U.S. publication including worldwide publications. So I ask you, if you see anything, if you hear anything, step back and ask why. Why is there always an enemy to be fought? Why is there always a dragon to be slain? But yet, it's always one-sided. Could it just be that maybe you instigated something that led it to this point because you wanted it? There is a publication that came out of the Rand Corporation, which was a think tank set up by Defense Secretary Robert McNamara under... John Kennedy, and Lyndon Johnson. They did a study on winning the Vietnam War. 
They started in 1965. They used a supercomputer that was based off of IBM in the Pentagon at the time. They calculated that to win the war with the military might of the United States, they'd win in three months. In 1968, they were still fighting. And in 1973, the war finally ended. So when you started in 1965, how did you not win? Was it your goal to actually win? They knew, and that's why Daniel Ellsberg became one of the first whistleblowers to come out and then be publicly held accountable by the Espionage Act of 1917, which is now being used against Julian Assange as well as Edward Snowden, all of whom do nothing but provide information of the beast, of the machine, this train that is almost impossible to stop but isn't impossible to stop because you always outnumber all of these people. But they're going to convince you that war is necessary, that war is the only way to provide peace. That's something that George Orwell wrote. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Does any of this shit make sense now? I'm not here to be like this, and I want to be more funny in what I say. I mean, you know, don't worry. I'll have a convertible ride in Dallas for myself, you know. As Bill Hicks once said, it's like, you know... (laughs) They show you another side of the the Kennedy assassination when you get into office and you're like, all right, you do what we say or else. And maybe that's true. Because even the people who ran and who were most popular still did the same thing. How many military bases does the United States have around the world? What's the modern form of colonialism that we see? Not colonies, but militarism. We have over 900 military bases around the world. We spend, on record... $700 billion, and every year that number goes up. So much more than the next country who is our perceived enemy. There was another publication that came out that somebody leaked from the Rand Corporation that mentioned a conflict with Russia to distract them while the real war with China should take place and how modern weaponry can be used. In December of last year, over $200 million was authorized and sent of weapons, brand new weapon technology sent to Ukraine for the freedom fighters there. You're converting this into an Afghanistan state in the 1980s. You're fighting a pseudo war to distract one enemy and publicly humiliate hum, publicly humiliate them while your real enemy that you claim to have, you trade the most with. And I want to tell you, if you see manufacturing coming out of one country... And we all know what we're talking about. If that manufacturing leaves that country, there will be a war. However, all of these countries are nuclear capable. All of these countries house ballistic missiles. All of these countries, every country involved, have hypersonic weaponry. They have some of the stuff that you'll never see. They have stuff that works under these secretive projects in DARPA. Things that you'll never fathom. Because you've put so much money and you've ramped it up exponentially throughout the years. And that's how you end up $30 trillion in debt. Every country is in debt. The Soviet Union's collapse is because they spent over 30% of their GDP on weapons technology. You want to talk about a military gap between the U.S. and Russia or the Soviet Union at the time didn't exist until the 70s. So what the fuck was all of the spending for? Who got rich? Well, if you come over to the Arlington area outside of the Pentagon, you'll see all of those people. And they'll drape the pride flags. And they'll put, we hire women. 
they might as well be mounting that to a fucking missile because they don't care. These are the people that make the drones, the missiles, the uranium tip rounds, which are illegal. Also, one of the countries who did not sign the agreements in the Nuremberg trials for crimes against humanity was the United States, among others. Why would you want to play by a set of rules if your total goal is hegemony and control and to make a shitload of money? We're not talking about a little bit. We're talking about a shitload of money. How many government contractors live in million-dollar houses when people down the street are struggling for food, living in government-subsidized housing? Potholes everywhere on the street. Infrastructure collapsing. But we have over a trillion dollars a year, and that's only in allocated spending to go towards war. War is not profitable, only for the hands of the very few, which is the oligarchy. And you want to perceive this to be better and to say that if we don't do this, democracy dies. Democracy died a long time ago. It's still fucking there, and we still have a framework. But until people start realizing that you're being played from both ends, and maybe what they're telling you isn't exactly the truth, and maybe you should look a little bit deeper into this, and that maybe war should only be used as a last-ditch effort and a pure defense especially when you start dealing with countries as they progress along the technological spectrum and they all start to house not even just nuclear weapons and thermonuclear weapons. Now, there is a designation because you're talking about the differences in size. Say the Hiroshima bomb was about 21 kilotons worth of TNT. That had a six-mile blast radius. It was more powerful than they assumed. But even the reportings of what happened on the ground was hidden from the U.S. public and the public around the world for decades because they didn't want to show the atrocity committed with one weapon. Now, we talk about thermonuclear weapons that are thousands of times more powerful. You're talking about the size of Maryland being wiped out with one bomb. This is the true genocide. And until we start to understand that, we are careening ever closer towards that cliff and these people will think they can make the right decisions. Now, maybe they can, maybe because they are so fucking smart, which they are. I'll give you that. They're fucking brilliant, man, because they've been doing it for, you know, 100 years. But the issue with this, and I know I'm running a little long, but the issue with this is that the thing that they thought of during the Cuban Missile Crisis was what's an acceptable amount of loss on our side. And you best believe they still do that to this day just like an insurance company, just like banks, there is a cost of doing business. And every single one of these motherfuckers has thought it. So with that, the last excerpt of the American University speech from John Kennedy, who, again, was assassinated. I speak of peace because the face, the new face of war, Total war makes no sense in an age where great powers can maintain large and relatively invulnerable nuclear forces and refuse to surrender without resort to those forces. It makes no sense in an age when a single nuclear weapon contains almost ten times the explosive force delivered by all the Allied air forces in the Second World War. It makes no sense in an age when the deadly poisons produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the globe and to generations yet unborn.
You want to know where your money goes. You want to know why you have the state that you currently have. You want to know why everything goes towards rent. Everything shifts. Banks control these things. A new age of serfdom to distract you. We produce war. And it's a fucking racket. Hey, but thanks for following along. If you want to subscribe to this, follow along on all of the shit, you know, all the different platforms, whatever. Uh, this is the first. Uh, I, I'll make the the next 15-minute uh, episodes a little more happy, a uh, little cash advances. But this was, uh, this was something that I needed to say. Uh, take it for what it is, I guess. Uh, do some research on yourself. Prove me wrong, I guess. But if you're getting it from a CNN or an MSNBC, if they had an AI bot actually watch all of the major news networks, including Fox News, and the things that it created, the most commonly used words were war, <laughs> tensions, uh, global... Pay. Like, it's, it's always the same shit. So that's what it is. You have an immense permanent arms industry, and we make a fuck ton of money that way, and we control a lot of the world that way. One day I'll probably get into what's called the petrodollar, and then you'll understand why there's this push for oil, among other things, and why oil is traded in U.S. dollar. But, you know, that or I'll just be driving around in my car and have, like, you know, a, a one-car accident in the middle of nowhere or, you know, get shot in the fucking head. So that needs to be said, and hopefully these people cannot convince you of absurdities, which will ultimately lead to atrocities. Thanks. Thanks.